For sports fans, it's an Olympics Super Bowl combo meal this week, but the undisputed champion of the economy is still inflation. As January recorded 7.5% inflation in the U.S., a four-decade high mark and a disappointment to those who thought inflation would recede in the new year. Gas at the pump is almost twice as expensive as its low point early in the pandemic. In company news, Peloton announced big layoffs as the company adjusts to lower demand, but some things never change. Demand for Coke, Pepsi, and Ben & Jerry's ice cream were confirmed this week to remain strong and growing, though all three brands warned of rapidly rising input costs that could impact prices and profits. In this edition of Commerce Code, using more precise spending data to know customers better, a conversation with Isabella Gabowicz of Sensibil. Dan Carell here, and this is Commerce Code, brought to you by DCA, the Digital Commerce Alliance. Thanks for joining us for insights into the evolving world of digital commerce. The Justice Department announced Tuesday its largest ever financial seizure, more than $3.5 billion worth of Bitcoin, and the arrests of a New York couple accused of conspiring to launder billions stolen from the virtual currency exchange Bitfinex in 2016. Investigators with warrants used searches of online accounts to obtain the private keys that allowed special agents to seize over 94,000 Bitcoin. The couple arrested on Tuesday turned out to be a known quantity of sorts in finance and technology. Remembered for a wedding that was extravagant even by the standards of Manhattan finance and for eclectic rap music videos that have not been warmly received by connoisseurs of rap music. In payments news, parallel to the Olympics, Beijing has played host this February to a quiet competition between Visa and China's new digital currency, the ECNY. Visa has been the exclusive payment sponsor of the Olympic Games since 1986 and is contracted to remain so through at least 2032. In the past, this meant Visa was the only way to pay at Olympic venues other than cash. Well before these Olympics, China announced that it would use the event as part of its launch for the ECNY, a digital version of the yuan. While ECNY payments are digital, they are also cash and arguably don't violate Visa's exclusive Olympics arrangement. As reported by the Wall Street Journal this week, the relatively few domestic visitors to the Olympic venues appeared to be using the new digital yuan for some of their payments, but athletes and others from outside China were largely sticking with Visa. Today on the show, we're joined by Isabella Gabowicz, the COO of Sensibil. Sensibil uses precise customer spend data and analytics to help financial institutions better understand their customers. The goal is to help consumers achieve financial wellness through more accurate and insightful personalized service from their financial institutions. Isabella, thank you so much for your time and for joining us today. And, you know, we are in the middle of the Olympics. And so I wanted to just start by asking, is there anything you're watching this year? What I am really looking forward to watching is the speed skating. I just love watching the power, the grace. It's such a captivating sport and absolutely underappreciated. That's great. So much fun. So, well, look, great to have Sensibil in this conversation, and I'm really looking forward to it. We're going to just kind of dive in on data, obviously. And I wanted to just start with what is the difference between the data that most financial institutions use or have available to them and then customer spend data? 
most financial institutions, what they have access to is really that transaction level data. So they're able to see when something was purchased, where, at which merchants, the amounts that it was purchased for. But what they're not necessarily seeing is what they may have purchased. And so that's an extra level of depth that would allow them to be able to really understand a lot more about that spending behavior. So if we think, for example, you've got John and his spend has been on diapers, on wipes, on formula, on baby clothes. That gives a lot of information to you as a financial institution about something about John's life. And again, not something that is available when you're just looking at how much is being spent at Amazon, Walmart, Uber Eats, those kinds of merchants that are showing up on monthly statements. If somebody spends some money at Louis Vuitton, that alone tells you something pretty granular. But these days, the fact that somebody bought something at Amazon tells you as close to nothing as it gets, right? You're absolutely correct, Sam. If I buy something at Louis Vuitton, I have some insight about the fact that this person is interested in luxury products. But my purchases at Amazon, and they're becoming more and more prevalent among consumers, then that's not giving any insight into the things that I value. You don't even really know whether or not I have propensity towards luxury items because those are also available on Amazon. But Amazon has all of this information about me and what is relevant. And so as Amazon is moving more and more into the financial industry space. You can see that there's conflicts that's emerging effectively there where they're competing more for that relationship with the end customer. They're looking to be able to disintermediate that relationship because they have access and visibility to all of this data that the financial institution traditionally does not have. So the idea in the work that you do at Sensibil is to be able to provide that kind of data in the right way, in an appropriate way, so that organizations can really learn from it and use that intelligence. So I'd, I would just love to get your take on you know, how can organizations really take advantage of that data in a meaningful way? Absolutely. So let's take a look at a few examples. So we had John who is spending that $250 on baby-related products. And as an organization, I want to make sure that I'm having an engaging relationship with John. I want to provide him with products that he's going to value. So with this information, it's a good opportunity for me to be asking whether or not he's got a baby on the way, because this is a good time to let him know about relevant savings accounts like a 529. But then if we think about you know, Mary, one of John's neighbors, who might also have been spending that $250 at Costco, but she's purchasing, let's say, specialty pet food. Well, so I don't want to be sending out that same message to Mary asking if she has a baby on the way. But she may not know that as an institution, we also now offer pet insurance, which is something that can benefit her. So one of the things that we've been seeing with our clients who have been harnessing this data is that they've been seeing that their customers have been half as likely to churn, 1.9 times more likely to buy additional products. They've been more engaged with the product, higher net promoter scores, all of these additional benefits because of the fact that this relationship has been strengthened and because they've been able to more effectively target them, cross-sell, upsell products that are going to be relevant to them. Obviously, you mentioned cross-selling. It helps to support working with customers on a wider range of products. And so that's obviously good for the total relationship. Absolutely, yes. Knowing what they value, knowing about their lives, allows them to be able to develop new partnerships with other organizations, find products or develop creative products that are going to be useful. 
So when we think about personalization, I think we've been talking about it here, but I wonder if there are places that financial institutions can take this that go further or maybe other examples of how to personalize using the data that you're providing. So as you all know, consumer expectations are quite high now. There really is that desire from people to be spoken to in a personal way. We've seen stats, all of us, about how 72% of consumers say that they'll only engage with personalized messaging. It's going to be nuances that are going to come through in everything from the way that you communicate to them in email, to the offers that you present to them, to which are the nudges that you show them in their digital banking tools. And if you think about it for a moment about the ROI for the institution or the organization, there's a fixed amount of dollars that everybody has with respect to their marketing budget. But the more that you know what is going to resonate, the more focused that you can be with that marketing budget. So your campaigns become more sophisticated, more effective within that existing spend, because now you can move away from those expensive blanket mass approaches and instead shift to more targeted campaigns. When you've got that depth of data, then that becomes incredibly valuable for your loyalty and rewards programs. Because as soon as you're able to understand and see the spend down to the items that are being purchased, then now you're unlocking financial benefits to the customer because they're getting additional card-linked savings. But this is also additional revenue opportunity for the financial institution. That's a great transition to the last question I wanted to ask here, which is we've been talking about this from the perspective of the financial institution, but obviously this has the potential to get customers into the right products. So what role does the data play in helping customers to achieve their own financial wellness? The reality is it's not one size fits all. There really is a personal and nuanced definition for every customer that's going to be different. So As an individual, for example, it doesn't really help me if all that I see is a generic message that tells me that I ought to be saving more or that those Starbucks lattes are going to add up because I already know that. But what I really want as an individual is tailored advice. I want nudges and recommendations that are going to be relevant to me in the moment. I want digital banking tools that are going to make it easy for me to identify and reach my goals, whatever those goals may be. So make it easy for me to track expenses for passive income that I have on the side. Help me set aside the right amount that is going to be there that I'm going to need at tax time. And if you can see that I'm overspending somewhere and there's a better deal that can be had somewhere else, or maybe a better deal if I'm using a different one of your card products, yeah, I want to know this. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, consumers in general have become simultaneously less loyal and they've become more loyal. Brand switching doesn't really carry the same costs that it used to for the individual. And it's easier for people to switch brands. But I wouldn't discount that importance of making people feel supported and heard, especially in the current economic climate that we have where people really need to feel that there is someone out there caring about their financial health. You know, when I reflect on deep brand affiliation of the kinds that you mentioned, you know, for me, it's, it's Dairy Queen. It just is. You know, it might be for financial and physical health reasons wise for me to have a, a credit card that simply doesn't work there. Or maybe, maybe works there once a week, you know, as opposed to once a day. This is a great conversation, and obviously there's so much more to it that we could chase, but I think we'll leave it there for now because this is a continuing story. Hopefully we'll have a conversation with you again on Commerce Code in the future, but Isabella, thank you so much for joining us today and for sharing your insights. Thank you so much, Jen, and congratulations on the 100th episode. That is an incredible milestone. Kudos. Thank you. 
Coming right up, closing thoughts on the challenges and opportunities of personalization. Using data to personalize offers is obviously a great opportunity, and we all know it also comes with big challenges. The canonical, or maybe just apocryphal, story in this space is that about 10 years ago, a major retailer's algorithm figured out that a teenager was pregnant before her parents did, and it mailed promotions featuring baby products to her house. Heated exchanges between her father and the store allegedly followed. Whether this actually happened is in a little bit of doubt, but it's canonical because it illustrates how algorithms operating on a mass scale can have unintended social consequences. Here's another take on the story. The problem was not that the retailer knew too much about the buyer, but that it knew too little or didn't have its information fully integrated. If, as the story goes, the girl was 16 and the store's computers had known that, the algorithm could take that into account and exclude her from baby mailings. Other characteristics, like being male or over the age of 50 perhaps, could be taken into account to adjust the offers, but not necessarily to eliminate them. Because here's the thing. The moment I find out I'm going to be a grandfather someday, I'm going to be in the baby aisle buying stuff and you can't stop me. It will not be wasted paper for stores to send me appropriate promotions for my new grandfather status. And that will be very cool. For the record, I will be buying the child a full set of tiny hockey goalie equipment. It's the cutest stuff in the world. It's gender neutral. It's very expensive. And I am there for it. More seriously, Sensibill is in this space to help financial institutions help their customers build financial wellness. And they're doing it in a host of ways. My point in telling the story here is not to point out the risks of personal data, but to point out that there's risk in anything worth doing. In fact, if there's enough risk in using certain kinds of data, it usually means the data is really powerful. So the right response isn't to back away from it, but to treat it with the care and precision that it deserves to make sure we're getting the most out of it in ways that are ethical and legal and beneficial to society. Surely increasing financial wellness in ways that account for the behavioral specifics of each person and the life stage of each person is highly socially beneficial but it does require working with some pretty precise personal data. To make a contemporary analogy, working with sensitive personal data is like developing a vaccine. Vaccines have to go through long development and approval cycles because like any drug, they are complex, they're precise, they're potentially dangerous if you don't get it right, and they're potentially world-alteringly great. That's the thing about really great stuff. With few exceptions, it's precise work. You have to be careful. You have to pay attention. But the payoff is more than worth it when you get it right. To find out more about the latest trends in digital commerce and digital advertising, check out our website at www.digcomall.org. For the Digital Commerce Alliance, take care of yourself and take care of each other. God bless. This is Dan Carell, signing off. Digital Commerce.